Let's pray. Lord, thank you for gathering us here today in your presence. Pray that we leave here with a better knowledge of you and a better love for the world, for our neighbors and for our friends. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Waiting for the screens to go up. Okay, there we go. Have you ever felt insecure in an area that you're supposed to know a lot about? I think if we're all honest, there's been times where we thought we knew a lot about something and then someone asked us a little more and we realized that we didn't know that much. One situation that stands out to me is right after I finished seminary, I was out in Vancouver, British Columbia. I moved to northern Virginia where I grew up, and I lived with my parents for a year because I had one class to finish up, and my mom had just been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So I wanted to spend some time with my mom and dad because I knew after that year I would probably be good chance to be moving somewhere else. So I, was, I ended up getting a job doing like kind of procurement type of work through a federal government. It wasn't a federal government job. I did that for about six months, but I was doing a lot of like with government contracts. I had no idea what I was doing with that. Then my next job, I was selling windows, roofing, siding, decks, and gutters. Some of you are already laughing, but I was a suburban kid, and I knew very little about mechanical stuff except for how to mow the lawn, and my dad had taught me how to change the oil. So that was a step up for most people. But, but anyway, I went in for the training, and I memorized the sales pitch. I knew all types of products for siding, from vinyl siding to hardy plank. I knew all my roofing materials. I knew all the gutters, the seamless gutters. I knew about decks, well, sort of. And uh, anyway, I, I thought I knew a lot. And so then they put me out into the field, and I started going. We'd get these calls, and I'd go for these home visits. And the whole deal was you'd had to close the sale in one day. You know, people got these ads in the paper. So I remember after the first week, I realized I didn't know a whole lot about what I thought I knew. And I'm going to give you two examples that stand out I'll never forget. The first one is I went to this... Uh, house and it was a townhouse and the guy answered the door and uh, he wanted a new roof on his townhouse you know very you know not a very expensive job and so he starts off and goes hey I'm glad you're here he goes you know my dad was a roofer and my grandfather were roofers and I'm thinking fantastic okay and so um and then he asked me where my flashlight was when I because he wanted me to go in his attic and he's like don't all roofers carry a flashlight and I'm like well yeah you know yeah I think I left it in the car can I borrow yours you know I said that and so I'm in the attic looking there, not knowing what I'm looking for, and I'm saying words like, yeah, it looks pretty good to me, and um, I guess he wanted me to check for rotten wood, but I, um, you know, anyway, I, I don't think I was very convincing, even though I told him all about our products. He definitely didn't go with me in that day or ever after that. So that was one of my first experiences of knowing that I didn't know that much. The second was I went to this house, and uh, the woman who answered the door was kind of odd, and she wouldn't let me in the house, and it was for windows. And, you know, I was supposed to measure the windows inside. That's how you got a, a measurement for these vinyl windows. And so I do the whole spiel to her. I'm going through all the different products or different, you know, levels of vinyl windows and how they're better than aluminum windows and wood windows. I'm talking about stuff, you know, condensation, all kinds of things, the R value and things I really don't know what they mean. And she looks at me and says, I have one question for you. When you take the windows out to replace them, you got to guarantee me that no bees are going to get in my house. And I looked at her, and here's what I wanted to say. Well, 
before we put the windows in, I'm going to talk to all the bees in the area, and, and I'm going to tell them to stay away from your open windows. But I didn't say that. I said, you know, no, I can't guarantee that, but we'll, we'll put them in quickly, you know. And then her husband walks in, or walks out, because they wouldn't let me in the house, and he says, you know, I'm in the caulking business, and I want to know what type of uh, caulking sealant you're going to use on these windows. Again, I had no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm like, a really good one? You know, stuff that's going to seal the windows? Uh, and he's like, well, is it going to have petroleum, da-da-da-da-da? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I think it's really good. We don't want to come back. And needless to say, that I didn't make the one-day sale on that one and uh, didn't get the job. You know, I think if we're all honest, i tell you that story. There's areas in our life where we think we know a lot about. But when it comes down to it, oftentimes we struggle because we realize that we're insecure. We don't have all the answers, especially when difficult times come up. I want to give you a couple examples that I think illustrate this uh, insecurity and this need we have for something else besides just our own strength. The first example I want to give you is most of you know I've worked for years in youth ministry. And I remember on one particular uh, uh, camp that I was working at out of college, there was a church group who came. And there was this boy, and I could tell right away that he was trying to get noticed by the girls, and it wasn't working. He was trying everything. He was trying to be funny. He was trying to, like, you know, get up close to them, like bump into them, saying, hey. And it, it just wasn't working. They were ignoring him at best. So then he sprained his ankle. You know, it's like the cliche. He uh, went to the nurse. We really didn't see any swelling, but he wanted to be on crutches. And for about one day, the girls and some of the guys gave him a little attention. Oh, what happened to you? Are you okay? But as teenagers go, that weared away quickly. By the next day, we noticed he was limping on the other ankle. And, uh, and then when he wasn't getting attention with that, by the third day, he was miraculously healed. And he didn't want the crutches anymore. And he started going back to being a normal kid who was trying to get attention. But, you know, I saw that insecurity there. And I, and I was thinking about it as I was preparing this sermon, that we all have that same need to be noticed, to be appreciated, kind of like this kid felt back then. The other example that comes to mind, and this was uh, told me years ago by a youth minister, and it was a great example of uh, not only we have this insecurity, we have this need for purpose, for meaning in our life. And the example he used was a true story from greyhound racing. Has anybody been to a dog uh, race before? Some of you, if you've been to Florida or places where it's popular, have been. Well, um, the way it works in these dog races is uh, they have this uh, man in a press box who electronically controls the speed of these mechanical rabbits that go around the track. So when they release the cages, the greyhounds are chasing this, what they think is a real rabbit, and they're going as fast as they can to try to catch the rabbit, right? So that's the way it works. Well, years ago at a Florida track, a big race was about to begin. The dogs crouched in their cages, ready to go, while betting spectators finished uh, placing their wagers. At the proper moment, the guns went off, The man in the press box pushed his lever, starting the rabbit down the first stretch. While the cage doors flew open, releasing the dogs to take off after the little imaginary rabbit. As the rabbit made the first turn, however, an electronic short in the system caused the rabbit to come to a complete stop, to explode, and to go up in flames. Poof! All that was left was a bit of black stuff hanging on the end of the wire. Now, with the rabbit gone, the bewildered dogs didn't know how to act. According to news reports, several dogs simply stopped running and laid down on the track. 
with their tongues hanging out. Two dogs, still frenzied with the chase, ran into a wall, breaking several ribs. Another dog began chasing his tail, while the rest howled at the people in the stands. Not one dog finished the race. So for these uh, dogs, these illusions, the thing they thought they were chasing disappeared, and they realized they had no purpose. They didn't know what to do next. So whether it was this insecure kid or these dogs who had been chasing something they thought was real and realized it wasn't true and they didn't know what to do, I think all of us can relate to those feelings in life. I think all of us struggle. We want to be secure. We want to have purpose. We want to know what do we do that's going to give us a purpose and meaning. It's going to help us navigate to, uh, through life because we all know that life can be difficult. In the 1999, I'm throwing a lot of nines in there, the movie City Slickers, Billy Crystal plays this uh, city guy named Mitch. Him and his buddies are having their middle age crisis. They go off in the West to go on one of these uh, vacations where you can pretend to be cowboys. And they're riding around with this guy, Curly, who takes his job way too seriously. He's like this serious cowboy. He always has a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, looks like the Marlboro Man. And um, toward the end of the trip, you know, Mitch is asking him, he's like, you know, hey, Curly. And Curly is a man of few words. He said, what's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? What's it all about? And he says to him, you know, you city guys are all the same. You think coming here for two weeks is going to help you figure out life. He goes, I'll tell you what the secret of life is. It's finding the one thing. So this guy, Mitch, the character Billy Crystal plays, is still confused. He goes, well, what is the one thing? Curly just smiles with a cigarette still burning on the end of his mouth and says, well, that's for you to figure out. Well, the good news for each of us today is this one thing is not some elusive thing that we're kind of searching for and trying to find. It's not subjective. See, there's an object, objective truth that happened almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again so that we could have access to know God. This brings us security and it brings us purpose. This is the most important thing. The one thing is that we have the opportunity to know God. And we can know God through faith in Christ. The Apostle John, when uh, Kathy read the gospel reading, that was Jesus' uh, last prayer to his disciples. Now, John, as he wrote his gospel, uh, had lots to say about knowing God. Here's some of the things he says in his gospel. He said, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In John 14, 7, uh, John writes, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. These are Jesus' words. In other words, if you look at me, you can see God. You can know God. And finally, in the prayer that Kathy read, that Jesus uh, said out loud to his disciples, he said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is the secret, the key to life? It's knowing God. And this knowledge of God, this is not just some abstract thing like, oh, yeah, I know that. It's a cerebral, intellectual pursuit. This knowing God is a change of place. It's a putting our faith and trust and putting all our weight down and surrendering our lives to God.
That's how we know God. It was never just a mental pursuit. It's putting our whole self in, kind of like the hokey pokey. You put your whole self in. That's what this knowledge is about. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2, chapter 20, writes these words to explain what this total surrender of knowing God looks like in one's life. This is the message version, so it's a little bit uh, more uh, common language. Let me read it. It says, My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. In other words, it isn't, hey, look at me. Look how good I am. What is important is that Christ lives in me. The life you see living is not mine, but is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. In other words, Christ in him, not him trying to impress God or him trying to impress you to be noticed or to find purpose by just trying to find these different pursuits in life. But knowing God was the most important thing. Alistair McGrath, he's a Christian uh, uh, apologetics uh, person. In other words, he defends the faith. He's an Oxford guy, super smart. He said these words. He said, the most important thing in, uh, in our faith is about it's not about words or saying the right words. It is about encountering the living and loving God. This is a man who's incredibly smart. So in other words, it's not about reading all these big words. It's about encountering and knowing the living God. Apostle Paul says this, that not only is about encountering that, but knowing God, we understand what love is. He says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is what knowing God is, knowing his love, encountering that, understanding that that's the most important thing in life is knowing God. We've had countless people here at St. Luke's who've had experiences, whether it's through a Curcio weekend, whether it's uh, coming to church here for years and all of a sudden that light bulb goes off and they come to faith, they come to a personal faith and understanding in God. I was talking to one of my youth leaders and he's here and I'll put him on the spot, uh, Ken was telling me that he came to faith because his daughter went to college and her roommate knew God. And her roommate knew God and wanted his daughter to know about God as well. And so the daughter comes to know God. And then Ken, who loves his daughter and knows his daughter, comes to know God and put his faith in Christ and ends up having this loving encounter. This is why it's such an exciting message, because it's not just for us, it's for everybody. Which brings me to my next point. This knowledge was never meant just to be individual, something that we kind of have our personal faith with Christ. You know, I've met people before that say, you know, I don't need to go to church. I just go out in nature or I like to surf. I just go out in the waves and that's where I find God. Hey, I believe you can find God up there, but there's power when we're together. In the prayer that uh, Kathy read from Jesus, he said, so that they may be one as we are one. See, Jesus is hoping that we will find solidarity, solidarity, just like he had solidarity and that tight relationship with God. He wants us to have that kind of knowledge. And that knowledge comes to fruition when we're with others. That's how we know God in a much more powerful way. I've mentioned before in other sermons the proverb where it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. That we're our best, that we know God the best when we're around other people. That's how we uh, come to this uh, knowledge and solidarity. 
Our singers uh, of rock bands, who are, some of them who are Christians, have recognized this. There's a great song by uh, the band Creed, who may not have been that great of a band, depends on your opinion of music. But they did have one song that said this. 101, the only way is one. The goal is to be unified. Take my hand and be my brother. See, the lead singer went to a Christian college and understood, even though at that time he'd kind of pushed God away, that there was an importance of being connected to God and being connected to each other. U2 has a song called One, when it says one life with each other, sisters, brothers, one life, we get to carry each other. So these singers who've had Christian backgrounds understand this need for unity, for solidarity. So what does that look like for you and I? Number one, with this knowledge of Christ together, we have each other to face our struggles. See, these disciples, these apostles who had seen the resurrected Christ and started the early church faced all kinds of struggles, just like those Coptic Christians who were gunned down this week in the Middle East. They understood that reality that their faith in Christ could put their lives in danger. So they understood the need to be together, to have solidarity, to have strength in numbers. They also saw each other's worth in Christ, not just by what they brought to the table, whether you had a lot of money or whether you were a lawyer or a doctor. They saw each person had value who was a believer because they understood that Christ, that God designed them, made them, created them. And because of their faith in Christ, they had value. So every person, whether it was a common person or a person with money, had value. So that's how, again, they grew in this solidarity and their understanding of not only knowing God, but knowing each other. And together, they end up living out this love, and it became attractive to the whole world. At the end of the prayer, uh, Kathy didn't read this part. Um, Jesus says these words, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In other words, God wants us as believers, as future believers, to know this love that he has, that him and his son share. And that we can join in in this love for each other. Because this is a powerful message to share with the world. And as we experience this, as I said before, our job is to share this knowledge with the world, with everyone, to share our knowledge of the living and loving God. You know, there's this common thing that sometimes Christians, especially now when we look at culture and we see a lot of the negative things in it, that we just want to separate or insulate ourselves, protect our children from all the negative stuff that's out there. And it is important that we do protect our children. However, us as Christians, we were never meant to be in a commune and never uh, rub shoulders with the world. We saw what communes did in the 70s. They never ended well. That's not the way God designed us. We're supposed to meet together, but then go out and share the message with the world. Jesus said at the end of this prayer, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Again, in the prayer, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We have a job to go into the world and to share this message of our knowledge of Christ of the knowledge that we found together that's brought us unity and solidarity and bring that knowledge to a world that so often is struggling with insecurity and purpose, that doesn't know uh, where to go or how to navigate their way through life, that is looking for that elusive one thing that's going to fill the emptiness inside of them.
So this is an all-encompassing mission to go out and share it to the world. It's not just with the people right around us. In the Acts reading, it says this. And these are Jesus' very last words, so you know these are important. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Our mission is everywhere. Sometimes people say, well, why are you going to Africa? Why are you going to Honduras? Why not do stuff locally? Well, Jesus tells us to go to Jerusalem, which is local, Judea, which is regionally, and to the ends of the earth. We're supposed to do everything. And yes, there are times where we're not doing a good job with one of those, but we are called to share Christ with everyone, the people who are like us, the people who are different with us. The Apostle Paul understood this. He said, He who has set me apart before I was born and who has called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Goes on later to say that he's called me to testify about the good news of God's grace. It's not just Apostle Paul. It's not Kathy. It's not other of our missionaries in our church. It's not just me. It's every one of you has a job to do. That's to know Christ, to be unified with other believers and to share this message with the whole world, to share this message of love. Again, Jesus' word says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. We have a message. We understand that because we have been loved, because we love because he first loved us. Because we've received that love, for those who've come to know Christ, we can't help but to share it with the world. So with this understanding, I bring this back to you. What are you doing with your life? What are you chasing after? Is it an illusion like those dogs were chasing? Or are we like that teenager who's just looking for somebody to notice them and is trying to mold or do anything just to be noticed? If we're all honest, at times there are those things in our life of insecurity, of trying to find purpose. But I'm telling you, You can find your deepest need in knowing Christ and putting your faith and trust in him of being part of a body of believers where you can grow in your solidarity and your unity so you can learn how to love people that are different than you and to share that message with the whole world. So my challenge for you, if you're uh, for each and every one of you, is to do something to make that most important thing the most important thing. I heard a leader say once, and he was this country guy, he said, The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. And I was like, whoa, what? But but that is our our purpose as Christians, to know God. And we do this together, and we want others to know God. Let's not forget about that. And for you, let's make it a, a point for you and your family from here on out to make that the most most important thing. That means coming to worship on a more regular basis. Not because it's always exciting and the message is always going to like hit a home run. There's going to be times when you may be disconnected, but there is important to meet together regularly. There's also opportunities. We have a VBS coming to put your children in so they can know God and your grandchildren know God better. We have youth groups. We have Bible studies. We have alpha groups. And it's not just this church. There's other churches on this island that have opportunities for people to know God to be uh, solidified in that message with each other and to share it with the world. I encourage you to make some steps. Don't just be a spectator Christian. Finally, we as a church, I feel there's a message in us for this. I think often the church 
behaves a lot like that teenager trying to get attention. We see that maybe uh, the congregation is dwindling, so we're kind of standing out in the corner saying, hey, look at us, look at us. You know, we're good. We've got, we got a lot of things going on. Come, come. You know, notice us. It is important to invite people, but we don't need to be insecure. We have an amazing message. The message is that we have a God who sent Christ, who became one of us, who died for us and rose again, that the resurrection is real, the hope of eternal life is real, and that is a powerful message. And we can calmly invite people to come and know about that because we know that the Holy Spirit is in charge and he's going to stir people's hearts. But we have a role, too, to participate in that inviting. You know, in our, it's Memorial Day, and um, I was thinking, you know, what is a motto that we can take from this message for our church? And I, I looked at the, uh, the different branches of our military, and all of them have really good mottos. Let me read a few of them for you. The Marine Corps' motto, and I'm going to butcher this Latin, but is semper fidelis, which means always faithful. The Navy is not for self, but for country. The U.S. Army's special forces is to free the oppressed. The U.S. Army is this will defend. The U.S. Air Force is fly, fight, win. See, the military understands the importance of community, of service, of action, of being together as a unit, brothers, sisters, the importance of this service. So what should our motto be as a church, as Christians? It doesn't need to be fancy. There's a Christian group, the Navigators, and I believe they have got, they've got it right. And their motto is to know Christ and to make him known. And I believe we can steal that one because it's found from Scripture, that we too, together, unified, to help each other to know Christ and to share that message with everyone, everywhere that they too could know of the hope that we have found in Christ. How do we do this? I want to end with two points. One is through our words. The Apostle Paul writes these words. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. We are the messengers. We're the ones with the beautiful feet, regardless of what your feet look like, to bring this good news to everyone, everywhere. We do it through our words. And secondly, we do it through our actions. In Matthew's gospel, uh, it says we are the light of the world for people to see the good deeds and know as an opportunity to be a witness of to who God is. Apostle James says, religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. We do it by our words. We do it by our actions of caring for the poor, the sick, the friendless, those who need to be noticed, those who are looking for purpose. And that is everyone and everywhere. You know, in our communion liturgy that's about to come up, we say these words. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. We are called to this unity as we come to the table, this common table together. We know that God is a constant in our life, and that knowledge brings us peace 
And that is a message of peace that we can bring to the whole world, that they too can become unified with this message. They can know the constancy of this relationship with Christ, and they too can experience peace and find purpose and not be insecure as they navigate their way through life. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you can be known. You sent your son Christ so that we can have access to you. I pray for each of us, if we've fallen away from you, that we'd make it a point to make that main thing of knowing you be the main thing in our life. I pray that not only would we uh, know you better and know you together, but we'd share this message with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.